Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Years ago, Truman Capote wrote a beautiful short story called A Christmas Memory. It was the semi-autobiographical story of a little boy and his aunt, who was, as he described her, still a child, maybe perhaps referencing her mental capacity. They would spend their whole year planning for Christmas, and part of their planning was to get enough, raise enough money to uh, buy ingredients for, to make fruitcakes that they sent all over the place to people, including the President of the United States. And uh, every year, they made each other the same gift. They made each other kites. And I remember one place in this story where it says, the aunt says to the little boy, the wind is blowing, and the narrator says, the wind is blowing. And every time I get to this text, I think of that. The wind is blowing, and you don't know where it comes from or where it will go. A beautiful reference to the Holy Spirit who goes where she will and anoints us with her presence and fills her with her guidance and love and comfort. You know, um, you probably know that uh, Martin Luther called John 3.16 the gospel in miniature. God so loved the world as to give the only begotten one that whoever believes may not die but have eternal life. Which makes me wonder, can the gospel ever be contained in miniature? I mean, think about that. Evidently, there are a lot of people who think so. Enough to print it on billboards, signs with just John 3.16 written, and claim it, it, it as their favorite scripture. And I might add, create a lot of misunderstanding about what the scripture actually means and create in that process a lot of pain and hurt for a lot of people. So what do you think it means to call John 3.16? the gospel in miniature. Some people are absolutely sure what it means, that you have to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And that being saved is about believing that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. And I don't know about you, but that raises all kinds of questions for me. How about what does the word believe actually mean? And what does it actually mean to be saved? And what does, why does Luther only use John 3.16 and not include John 3.17, which says, Indeed, God sent the only begotten one into the world not to condemn the world, but that through the only begotten one, the world might be saved. Well, I think if we clarify some of the words we're dealing with here a little bit, talk about them, 
that we might actually ultimately save Nicodemus's reputation. Because I want to tell you, and I've been a part and parcel of it too, is that usually when we get to this passage about Nicodemus, uh, we're a little hard on Nicodemus. I mean, he sneaks around in the dark, comes to Jesus by cover of darkness. They spend this conversation, and, and Nicodemus sounds a little bit like just, well, not so smart, right? But I want to clarify a few things and hopefully bring Nicodemus back to us. So let's start um, at the idea of being born again or born anew. The Greek here, the Greek word here, can mean either of those things. Born again or born anew. But it can also mean born from above. Now, if you pair what Jesus has said here and use the term born from above, then Jesus goes on to say you have to be born of water and the spirit. And how do you think for a minute you're born from above except through the spirit? Right? So, a lot of New Testament scholars have landed on that. And in fact, this, the text that we read from today is from the New Inclusive Bible. I think it's just the Inclusive Bible, really, actually. But they use born from above. I don't know if you noticed it in our reading. So, a phenomenon of being born from above is exactly what Jesus means by born of the Spirit. And Jesus replied saying, the truth is, unless one is born from above, one cannot see the realm of God. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that changed the meaning of this for me some. Consider what the great 20th century Church of England Archbishop of Canterbury explained. To be born from above is a kind of dying. Nicodemus inherited a great tradition, for he was a Pharisee. He had conformed to its habits, his conduct, his speech, his thought, and his feeling. How can he break away from all of this and begin again? It is as hard as it would be literally to return into his mother's womb and be reborn. This is what we're talking about that this is a, a little bit of dying in order to be made new in the spirit. <coughs> okay, so let's just go on down this text. What about, for God so loved the world. Hotus is the verb there. Or is the, I don't know what thing of speech it is, but it's the so word, okay? And, and a lot of, uh, scholars believe that the actual Greek is uh, translated not so, which is more English, but in this way. Today, we often uh, use so to mean very, or to a large extent, as I'm so sad, I'm very sad, she's so smart, to a large extent she is smart. So John 3.16 is often misunderstood today as a statement about the degree of God's love. Whereas, actually, it's a statement about the way of God's love. As in, yes, 
God loved the world in this way, to give the only begotten one. And then, let's talk about, yes, God loved the world. The world, the Greek here, is cosmos, with a K, or whatever the Greek letter is. I'd have to think about that a minute, but we're talking about the cosmos, C-O-M-O-S, the whole of creation. Think about that. Think about what we've been seeing on this telescope that has gone out into the universe. I mean, the whole of creation with the underlying intent for God not to save just some people as the chosen ones of Israel or Christians who profess right belief. We might ask whatever that is. But to save everyone. And in fact, the whole of creation. As in, but that through the only begotten one, everyone, the whole of creation might be saved. Now consider how all of this might change how you think and feel. First, about Nicodemus. And secondly, about John 3.16 and 3.17. And this story of faith that has deeply informed our postmodern understanding of our faith and of salvation. How many people have interpreted it so narrowly? Who could get in the door? When what Jesus desires most for us, I think, is to grasp the love of God. That, that love that sent Christ into the world to show us the face of God, what God's face looks like in human form, what God's love looks like in human form, the love that claims us and calls us, the love that invites us to enter into relationship with the one who dwells in the mystery of all things, yet seeks to know us in the midst of everyday life, the love that drenches us with wonder if we're willing to see, to listen, to hear the wind blow. Just as the disciple Thomas has gotten a bad rap for wanting to see and touch the risen Christ in order to believe, becoming the patron saint for all of those of us who sometimes doubt and question, Perhaps Nicodemus becomes the great courageous questioner and becomes the patron saint of seekers for those of us who wonder, what does this mean? How can this be? How is one born from above? What does it mean to believe? What, what, what does this mean? Now, I want to tell you, I listened to Brian McLaren's latest book, Do I Stay Christian? <laughs> and I have to tell you, it may be one of the best books about Christianity that I've, I've read, listened to in ages. I'm just totally moved by it. In his book, McLaren implores us that we, like Nicodemus, need to stay curious. That that should be our best way of being in the world. So, and then he goes on to explain that it is an ancient understanding of our Christian tradition 
but one we have seen to lose, we, we've lost in recent years. McLaren writes this, the question remains, how do we know we are aligning with real reality or a false narrative constructed by a con artist, demagogue, cult leader, or fool, including ourselves? While there is no foolproof trick for avoiding being fooled or being foolish, there is a spiritual practice that can help us. It is the practice of unknowing. You hear that? It is the practice of not knowing. And quoting Jamie Holmes, the author of Nonsense, The Power of Not Knowing, McLaren writes this. In an increasingly unpredictable complex world, it turns out that what matters most isn't IQ, isn't willpower, or confidence in what we know. It is how we deal with what we don't know. It turns out that Nicodemus may be our best model of the practice of unknowing. How can this be? Echoing the words of Mary when Gabriel told her that she would be pregnant. How can this be that I am to be born from above? I can't go back into my mother's womb. How can this be, he asks. So um, y'all know I love Diana Butler Bass. So I want to read from you her blog. Uh, oh, well, actually, it was on her blog today, but I read it this morning. I said, I have to tell them this. In her book, Freeing Jesus, she writes this. I had always known that birth would be hard. I never knew it would be holy. Ancient Celtic Christians believed that infants came from God and that in a gazing into a newborn's face, we see the very image of God. And conversely, through the infant's eyes, in some mysterious way, God beholds us. The birthing place is a sort of inner sanctum where we encounter the freshly born presence of God. And she goes on. No wonder that Christian tradition makes much of the birth of Jesus, the one whose birthplace opens to angels, animals, shepherds, and sh shamans. It is more than the silent midnight holiness between Mary and her son. The whole cosmos witnesses his birth. More than an image fresh from heaven, the infant is the very embodiment of the divine. Every birth is echoed in this birth. No wonder the stars filled the heavens. The light shines forth. The presence of God made manifest. The glory of the one from the womb of grace. Darkness of birth. Light of the world. Very truly I tell you, said Jesus, no one can see the realm of God without being born anew from above. And if that leaves you with questions, welcome into the experience of being drenched in wonder. Amen.